to Potadelphia. My name is Dave Diorio. You can find me on Twitter at fat underscore lobster. And I'm joined by two guys who walked in wearing custom suits with gritty liners. What's up, Chuck and Gene? <laughs> uh, hey, Dave. Hey, Gene. Yes. Um, it was worth uh, every penny I spent. I had to go to a local tailor. Um, everyone had uh, gritty uh, images at the ready. Nobody, including Bryce Harper, had you know current day fanatic images. Those are old school fanatic images. I got up to date gritty, you know, right here next to my breast. Um, this is Chuck Siders. You can find me on Twitter at Chuck Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. That's because Bryce knows what's up. Yeah. <laughs> this is Gene Zilike. You can find me on Twitter at producer Gene, and uh, all of my uh, garments are lined with gritty. Um, and they always have been, honestly. It's because I'm not super hygienic. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you like just grit? It's just grit. It's it's just it's just dead skin mostly. <laughs> too, too much sandpaper and not enough silk on uh, on Jean's end. Exactly. Well, look, you know, it was kind of like a, a less than enthusiastic return to sports uh, coming into this week. And, you know, it was like, well, I really needed that Flyers game on, you know, last Sunday to pull us out of this. And then the Flyers just kept on pulling and pulling and pulling us out of it like we were some sort of like magician's scarf uh, (laughs) out of his like front jacket pocket. And we're just like pulling joy left and right out of the Flyers. Flyers are awesome. Thank God for the Flyers. Thank God, indeed, man. Uh, You say you say it well. I was going to say perfectly. I'm like, eh, maybe the magician analogy isn't perfect, but you said it well. In that, it, it it's not sports with this power of COVID nineteen death hanging over it most of the time. When you're watching the games, especially you know watching the Flyers play, you lose yourself in the game entirely. You know, you get really excited. You get invested and i'm not thinking about oh it's so messed up that they have the cardboard fans in the seats or it's so quiet or it's whatever you know nine times out of ten during the game i'm just in it and it it feels normal and it feels awesome well i think it's the excitement of the performance uh and the magnitude of the performance and like what's at stake and and what can be with the flyers the Sixers feel uh, – we could talk about this later, but, I mean, it just feels like I'm watching reanimated corpses play basketball because there's just no life. There's no juice into it. Now, if I were a Lakers fan or if I was a Celtics fan or something like that, I might feel differently. Uh, but, yeah, right now, basketball feels sort of hollow as a Philadelphia fan, as a Philadelphia fan. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, uh, we might get to it later again, but the Phils. Oh, boy, that stadium, when when they are trailing, when it feels like they've lost the game in the fifth of a seven-inning game, apparently, um, it feels cold. It feels empty. It just feels dead. And why, you know, do we, why do we do this thing? Where we're like immediately like let's go to the 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 down. <laughs> and this is kind of what I we're gonna get into the flyers first, and I'm so like pumped to talk about the flyers. 
But like for me, my overarching message for this podcast wants to be like, let yourself believe like this is definitely a why not us situation it's there it's obviously there it's there for the taking when you run through these three teams like like it's no shit like no big deal like no skin off my ass i just beat the three best teams in the eastern conference to grab the number one seed right from under their noses uh yeah why not us they could win the stanley cup this year and it's like not a strange thing to say it no, I, I think I think we're more hesitant to say it because we're Flyers fans. You know, around the league, people are going like, hey, look out for Philadelphia. This is and I was hesitant to say it up until the the Tampa Bay game. I'm getting a really strong uh, Kings in 2012 vibe, you know, where just watching the first round of the playoffs and the the action leading into it. Like the LA Kings, they are just going to be unbeatable. You could tell. Just the way they played the game, the, the domination. And maybe the Flyers haven't dominated. But like you said, Dave, these are the three top teams in the East. Flyers being number four, these are the three top teams in the East. And all right, maybe you write off one game as, okay, yeah, they they, they can hang with these guys, but they're oh, not better. sleeping or something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But when they beat all three teams in very similar fashions, like, it shows that they have a system, the system works, and it produces results. You know, we're going to get anywhere between three to five goals and hold you to about one. You know, now, I mean, we can't, <laughs> we can't guarantee it's going to be one throughout the playoffs, but... So far, what we see is they have low percentage chances. The Flyers have high percentage chances. And they look like they haven't missed a beat. You know, we can get into some areas that might need to improve, but they look like they haven't missed a beat. I mean, it's it's time to get excited. If you if you are not a Flyers fan, um, well, sit back, uh, listen to the podcast, get yourself psyched <laughs> up, and, and watch the next game. I'll tell you, the, the one of the great – what I thought was going to be tragedies of losing sports in March the way that we did was going to be not being able to see the Flyers sort of finish what they had begun. They had hit uh, uh, almost a a momentum or an energy peak. They certainly hadn't, I don't know that they had broken any kinds of win streak records or anything, and that's not necessarily my point. But if you had been watching as I had been, you know, as we had been, all season long, it was like you finally saw a team um, find another gear, uh, flip the switch, as they they sometimes say, and they had gotten to a point where they were within, I think, a point of Washington, and it was everybody pretty much had thought that they were going to pass the Capitals and take the division lead, um, and that still may have resulted just because of the way the standings were in uh, us ending up in the three seed, but. That would have been a really huge jump coming from where we did this time last year, where we had a replacement coach or an interim coach, um, and we were basically a dumpster fire for the first half of the year. Uh, the roster is not so different that you go, well, you know, they spent the offseason rebuilding. Not not really the case here. Uh, they, they put confidence in their goaltender, um, so they have a true number one. Uh, you saw a little bit of 
you know, some some pieces added. You added another center. But the most important addition has been adding the coach and adding the system. And one of the things you hear from all of these players, basically to a man, is that they know who's in charge in that locker room. Not only do they know who's in charge, they respect who's in charge. I think that was one of the big problems is uh, a lot of the players on the team last year had no respect for the people that were trying to call the shots. And um, it showed on the ice. So it's amazing to me to see, A, a team turn around as fast as they did. And when this uh, format was sort of laid out, and I think I've said this before, really the Flyers were the only team that was not going to come out of this format without some sort of gains. The other three teams had so much to lose. It was amazing to me how little effort in some of those games it really felt like they were putting forward, as if they were ignoring what they had done for their entire regular season and were willing to concede a position in the playoff tournament um, basically in one game. And and I thought it was crazy, especially in the Washington game. I really felt like the Washington game, it was a team that was playing a preseason game versus the Flyers who were already in, in a playoff mode. Um, I, I wonder how psychologically damaging something like that is for a team like the Bruins who walked into this thing with basically the number one seed. If the season played out, for all intents and purposes, we're probably going to be the number one seed. And now they find themselves in the middle of the playoff pack, probably with a really tough road uh, to reach the Eastern conference finals. Like, I mean, I I don't know, like the mental strength of the players. I'm sure it's stronger than mine because (laughs) the whole time I would be saying, this is bullshit. This isn't fair. Uh, We got jobbed out of this. We should be playing the, you know, the Canadians or, you know, the Canadians would even be in the playoffs under these circumstances (laughs) for all, you know, in all likelihood. So, um, yeah, like I wonder, you know, I want, and I'm sure the Flyers are going to get a tremendous lift from this. Like, this is an opportunity we never would have had uh, had this season uh, played out, you know, under normal circumstances. So, uh, just psychologically, I wonder how these teams are going to respond. I don't like think this. the Flyers, had they won out, could have probably won the one seat. Like that was that's sort of been like the strange bounce here that the Flyers have managed to get. Not only are they going to get. Um, the top seed, but also we're not going through a divisional playoff setup. Um, And and Chuck, you can probably talk more about this than I could, but they're going to reseed every round. So the Flyers will get the benefit of, they will always have the lowest seed left uh, going through. Now there's no such thing as true uh, home ice in the sense of like having the home crowd energy with you, but there are benefits to being the home team. We've talked about them. Um, And they're also going to have that for, for, their at least their eastern conference run so it's going to be interesting to me to see how this shapes out with some of the other teams in the eastern conference it's going to be interesting for me to see how they're going to lay out the schedule since obviously you don't need to build in as many travel days it's going to be interesting to me to see how um how they work the goaltenders for um for the flyers specifically because i thought brian elliott uh, showed himself well. I think that Carter Hart's clearly the number one, but um, you may see some situations where you might uh, see Elliott have some some time in the playoffs. And I, I just think that you're looking at a Flyers team that's got all of the momentum that you could possibly get coming out of this situation, and they're going to play a, a team that maybe has got the second most momentum in Montreal because they shouldn't even be here. But I just think that the Flyers are clearly 
uh, in much better shape as a team to uh, to make a deep, deep run. And I wouldn't have said that even maybe in March. You, you guys touch on a lot of great points. And um, I want to backtrack to just like, let's talk about the Bruins. And you had mentioned before they had they didn't have the, the number one seed in the East locked up. But for, for all intents and purposes, they did. I think they had a eight-point lead over number two, I mean, which was Tampa. They had a they had a huge lead, and they were the hottest team in the league or second hottest. And the Flyers were either number one or number two. I forget what it was. I believe it was Bruins were the you know winningest team since January, and then the Flyers were second. And I think that they had almost came the same percentage and that the, the flip happened because the Flyers lost to the Bruins in the last day, technically the last day of the, the season. I think they were that close. You might be right that I, I, I know that um, ended our winning streak um, at nine games. And then the Bruins path was going to be difficult under the normal circumstances, but it's it's tough now. They would have had... Um, Bruins in the first round would have probably played uh, the number five seed, um, which I, I don't have it in front of me. Would have me. been Pittsburgh, wouldn't it? Uh, Pittsburgh would have been um, the the third seed in the oh, Metro, right, 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 uh, right. with the fourth being Carolina, the fifth. That's why we had so many teams. Because is hockey the spot. most confusing sport? I swear. Because uh, Canadians like things difficult. Um, but it's it's divisional and then – but whatever. So they went from, you know, probably what was going to be the, the easiest path to one of the hardest because they're going to play a arrested Carolina team who smoked the Rangers. So that Carolina draw is rough. And it's nothing but good for the Flyers. Because if the Bruins take out Carolina, we don't have to worry about them. If Carolina takes out the Bruins, we don't have to worry about the Bruins finding their footing. Um, which we, them sitting at four seed, hypothetically, fourth seed, they could be our second round opponent. If yeah, all I mean, the, if everything holds serve, we're playing the yeah. Bruins in the second round. Yeah. So, um, so that's going to be good for us. One of those two teams that you know, could be a difficult matchup for the Flyers are going to be gone after the first round. And the the Montreal team, like you guys said, shouldn't have even been in the playoffs. And the the Flyers are just so much more talented than, than Montreal. And the way the Flyers have been playing, it's night and day different than Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh was out of sorts. Pittsburgh, you know, they did not find their game. And credit to... to to the Canadians, they played a strong uh, team defense that that made things hard for Pittsburgh, and it, it could be challenging for us. But I just don't see it. The Flyers have so much depth. No, the Flyers you know? got to get in there and win that game, w- win that series in like four or five games, and and wait for, wait for an wait for a winner of the Bruins and and Carolina if it, that's how it turns out to be but yeah. yeah get get that series over quick in 4 or 5 or unless you listen to 975 the fanatic and maybe they can win it in 3 um <laughs> uh, just a playoff update the blue jackets have put away the leafs they could not come back so it's going to be blue jackets versus tampa bay um, in a rematch of the sweep from last year, 
Uh, so that'll oh, be interesting. interesting. Yeah, so that, that'll be a fun one. The Eastern Conference is lined up with a lot of fun matchups. You have um, Barry Trotz playing, you know, coaching the Islanders against the Capitals, the team that he won the Stanley Cup with, and then immediately left for the Islanders because they didn't want to pay him more money. Um, the Tampa Bay, uh, the Tampa Bay CBJ rematch, uh, Boston Carolina should just be good hockey if Boston shows up and then Flyers Canadians. Hopefully that's boring hockey. Hopefully we blow their doors off, but it's, there is no one I am afraid of. There's not a single matchup I'm afraid of. Probably the one I'm most hesitant about is Carolina. I think they, are kind of a similar team to the Flyers. They have, I don't think they have as much scoring depth as the Flyers. Um, they have a dynamic defense. Our goaltending is better. Although James Reimer looked really good in that last game he played. Um, the, the Canes are probably the team that scares me most in the East. Uh, Tampa Bay, it's, it won't be easy, but I think the Flyers can, can hang with them. I worry about, uh, the Canes playing a, a sort of a shutdown game and, and you know, locking down the Flyers. But with the scoring depth that the Flyers have, I would still put my money on the Flyers. Honestly, there is not a team you can say in the East that I, I don't think the Flyers would beat right now. So I've, I've been listening to a lot of the – and I don't even say want to say listening because that would imply that people on sports radio were even – having a conversation about this and maybe they did today <laughs> maybe they did today I honestly didn't the only when I had the radio on today was I was listening to the Phillies um but I've been reading on on Twitter a lot of the uh, Flyers Twitter seems to be talking about um uh, you know a need for the power play to step up which I certainly agree with it seemed like the power play um didn't really uh get too much as far as uh, scoring was concerned um I don't even know if we had a power play goal if we had a power play we did goal, not we had maybe one we did not um and then secondly, a lot of talk about how the top line didn't produce a lot of points. Uh, a lot of the counter arguments to that have been, uh, yes, the, the, the top line, Claude Giroux um, and uh, specifically Voracek, uh, I don't think had any points in the, in the if, if, they, if maybe one or two. But um, the counterpoint is look at how that line with Couturier and uh, Voracek and Giroux lined up against all of the other top lines that they face in the other teams. Uh, specifically, if you look at that Washington game, um, they basically closed that that top line down. Uh, you know, and that's basically the same top line that won the Stanley Cup uh, a year ago. So, uh, if if you discount the uh, the defensive contribution you're getting from those offensive forwards, on top of the fact that we have probably the second or maybe the top second defensive pairing in the league i don't know if there's a lot of there's probably a better top defensive pairing but that having a having a team that can roll those two defensive pairings that we have pretty pretty deep um and and basically the way the flyers were beating teams were we will shut down your top line uh and then we're going to roll three more at you and one of them you're going to you're not going to be able to stop uh, you might be able to shut down our our top line. You might be able to match up against our second. But we're going to roll out a third and a fourth line, and we will find somebody on that grouping to 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 score on you. And that's what they've done. The, it, in each of those games, it was somebody else who stepped up and not only had a good game, but I mean, really, 
put up a, a maybe like a, a a career game against a best team in, in in the Eastern Conference, which when you have that many people that can put teams away, uh, you know, or move up to a top line and suddenly be able to flash um, and and almost get a a a, a hat trick like uh, like uh, Kubel did the other night. I don't know how you can expect over a seven-game series to hold down four scoring lines that the Flyers are going to throw at you. And even if they get injured, we have we have depth that we have guys that can even step into those roles and not really lose too much uh, momentum uh, as we go. We have like three or four more guys that you know would be probably second second line or third line guys on most other teams. Yeah, you're touching on it, man. I mean, like, what did we have? Like, no goal, no goals from Drew, no goals from Hayes, uh, no goals from Couturier. Uh, I don't know. You got to go pretty far down the list before you start seeing where the production's coming from. Well, well Hayes at least had one goal. Oh, did he? Um, okay. Yeah, I think I think he had the the first goal for the Flyers. It was it was a a, a pickoff of um um. Uh, a bad clearing attempt and just sort of walked it in and walked it around. Um, Don't the facts uh, get away good story, Chuck. <laughs> our stars aren't doing anything. But our stars are doing plenty. And um, let's talk about that top line. Uh, Couturier has uh, at least one assist, I think two, uh, if not more. And he he's a factor out there. He and Giroux and Voracek when he played – Hopefully Voracek will be back sooner rather than later. Um, they they were a ordeal to play against because it wasn't just a defensive shutdown line. They produced their own offense. They produced their own pressure. So you have puck possession. You know, the Flyers had it as much as they didn't when they were out there playing. And just think of how something like that translates. So, let, even though they don't score, they're matching up against the top line of Tampa Bay or Washington or Boston or whomever. Now you have the faceoff in their zone. And out comes line number two, which is our hottest line. You know, you have Hayes, TK, and Lawton. Lawton's just sort of trying to go, hey, I was a first-round pick. You know, let's not write me off here. Um, and they have something going really special. And they're a threat. Go to the third line, who I don't even know who's going to be on the third line because um, you have Farabee, who came in, um, who came into the lineup after. Sorry, Google wanted to have a uh, her opinion there. <laughs> so you had Farabee come into the lineup after the Voracek injury, um, and. And make him presence known. Actually, no, it was after the Roffle injury. Uh, Farabee came in and um, was a presence on the third line, jumped up to the top line at points in the last game. You had uh, Nick Albe Kubel, who was like, he was like a Flyers prospect, like a blue chip prospect before they got a lot more <laughs> prospects. And he's proving that he deserves to be in that conversation. And you have JBR. So you got three wings to go around um, uh, Grant, Derek Grant, uh, who's doing a very capable job as third line center. You have three wings there. So 
you have to deal with that. So you kick the fourth one down to the, you know, the third one down the fourth line. So you might have JVR uh, Pitlick, who's everywhere. You, you know, he got, I think, a goal last game or at least a, an assist after just being, you know, you heard his name the last three games. Pitlick it's been a was while, a Chuck. It's been a while. Uh, was he all over the place? In a good way. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, Nate Thompson um, as the, the 4C. So it, it really is pick your poison. Like, who are you going to match up against? And that goes back to a point you were saying, Gene, of uh, that home ice advantage. Home ice advantage gives you last change. So sometimes they go, well, if you're if you're the home coach and you spend your whole game matching up lineups, well, you're letting the away coach make that decision for you. But you can't cherry pick who you want to stop with those top two lines, just the top two lines. You might have an opposing coach going, no, we're focusing on the Hayes line. Let's let the Couturier line beat us, you know, or we want our top line away from the Couturier line because they're shutting us down. Maybe we can, you know, go fire, fire against the Hayes line. Nope. We get last change. We get to decide the pairings we want, you know, and you put the, the team on their heels as they have to try to adjust, have to try to go, do we shuffle players? Do we just accept a bad matchup? And that's even before we get to the defense that I hope Ghost has earned his way into that bottom pair because that that could be a, a game changer too. Oh, and before we go on to that, I want to get to the power play. The power play isn't a concern for me yet. If they don't score soon, I I'm worried that there's going to be a mental block that we go on the power play. Everyone's going to be clutching their stick too much, trying to make too much happen. Um, right now the power play is doing, they're, they're a little out of sync, but they're doing the right stuff. The, the first chance the flyers had in all three of these games was a, a Giroux cannon on the, on the power play. You know, one of those classic ones comes to him in his circle and he just, nails it rings off the post that could have been a goal right there and uh goss bear he's last game he was shooting him from the point as well so if we get those looks and we keep up the the power play will find the back of the net sooner rather than later just as long as it does if we're three games into the next series and the flyers have not scored in the power play that could be a pain in the ass. That could be something we have to deal with. I don't think it's going to be the case. I think we're going to score in the power play in the next two games, and then it's going to be an afterthought. So the the Flyers outscored their opponents 11-3 to over these three games, which uh, that's a pretty sizable, def- decisive margin. Do you give most of the credit to the goaltending, or was it more the, the defensive – play of the team that limited chances um i i'm gonna say team defense uh so it's cop out answer i'm gonna say everybody it was a team effort um a little bit of both little, little bit of both. <laughs> um Fuck that but 
No, well, there's no, 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 not it. your answer, not your answer. But I, I can't stand it when someone says, "Do you think the Flyers more won these games, or did the other teams lose them more?" Oh. And then the analyst goes, "Little bit of both, little bit of both." <laughs> you know, Flyers played really well, but these other teams didn't play up to their potential as well. So, a little bit of both. Fuck, little bit of both. <laughs> Don't ever say a little bit of both. All right, so I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say it's more the defense but it just works in tandem with having a reliable backstop let's take a look at the, yeah, I think the games like in isolation kind of like like that lightning game which i'm most concerned about the lightning because i feel like they always have our number but if carhartt doesn't stop those two breakaways that game's mm-hmm. totally different it is it is and so you have you know him as your failsafe allows our penalty kill to be so good. You know, what's so great about the Flyers penalty kill right now is how aggressive it is. You know, you see Kevin Hayes, you see Pitlick, you see Grant, you know, they're trying shit. They're attacking. They're attacking on the penalty kill. You can do that if you know, hey, if I fuck up, this isn't going immediately in the back of the net. Let's look at the end of the Tampa game, which Tampa is a very good team like if we are against tampa in the eastern conference finals which thank god that's going to be the only time we can see them if we're playing tampa it's for the right to go to the stanley cup if we're playing in the eastern Been there conference, before. yeah oh hey and now i'm thinking of john tortorella again all right oh. sorry sorry <laughs> he makes me so mad um but whatever so, oh, at the end of that game, um, Tampa's formidable. Tampa is someone you should be concerned about, but I think the Flyers can beat them. And it's not like, oh, uh, hey, if the stars align, we can beat them. No, I think it's going to be seven tough games, probably would go seven, but my money would be on the Flyers. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but they really, really attacked in that third period. Maybe the last 10 minutes or so, maybe even a little more, it was all Tampa, but the Flyers' defense was forcing those shots to the outside. They weren't getting uh, very many good passes, and Carter Hart was seeing the shots all the way. And when Carter Hart sees the shot all the way, he is stopping it. You know, that's a big difference than I'm a big Steve Mason defender. You know, Steve Mason, if he sees the shot all the way, I'm pretty confident he's going to stop it. You know, I'll bet you a beer he's going to stop it. <laughs> I will not bet my life. <laughs> Carter Hart, I'm like, does he have the flu? <laughs> like, like, is this a preseason game? Carter Hart, if he sees the shot all the way, I'm fine. You know, I'll stake my life on that. He's going to stop it. You know, so that it really does work in tandem. It allows the defense to be more aggressive and that second pair defensive pairing of Sanheim and Myers, who are both young. That's the only little concern is, hey, as these playoffs go longer, you know, they don't have a lot of experience under their belt, but they look damn good to me. And they're dynamic and they're aggressive and they really attack the play and they've been a, a shutdown pairing as well. That's another that's another one of those uh, euphemisms that I can't stand. That's like they're too young to understand the magnitude of the situation. It's like, oh, what are they in preschool? Like they don't understand (laughs) what's going on. Yeah. It's not even, they don't understand the magnitude. It's, 
Um, and this year I'm not so worried about because of all the shit going on. It's like, welcome to 2020. Here's your whiskey and grow up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you're going into the the playoffs and they're not going to have to be, hey, your mom and 15 cousins are in for out of town and they want s- seats for the oh, playoffs. Yeah, that's true too, yeah. You know, they're not going to have to worry about that. Yeah. They're not going to go, hey, do I, you know, coach wants us to spend the, you know, uh, stay in a hotel when we're playing home games. And my girlfriend, my fiance, my wife is really upset about that or, or I feel weird about that or right. nope. And it's being catered. All those things of like the human side of being in the playoffs or in a playoff run for the first time, they're not going to have to deal with. Yeah, does that kind of steal the veteran edge a little bit from some of these teams? I think a bit. And then also I wonder, just looking at the Flyers, and I'm not worried about some of the older guys, but I wonder if the the younger guys are playing with a, a lighter burden because I'd mentioned, you know, spouses and wives and partners, and I didn't mention kids. You know, Voracek, Giroux, Katorje left his, like, three-day-old daughter behind. You know, and Katorje's played well. All these guys have, you know, been okay at the very least. But they this might be harder for them than it is for a Carter Hart. Carter Hart is, hey, go hang out with your hockey team on an endless road trip. You get all the Mario Kart you want, and like it's catered, and you're you have this almost adventure. So that young aspect of these teams, you know, you don't have Ivan Provorov going, it's my kid's first birthday. He doesn't have a kid, <laughs> you know. Right, it's, right. And that might seem silly, but I. I, I would just hear some of the players talk and the young guys aren't talking about the burden of being in the bubble. Some of the older guys you have like Brian Elliott going, yeah, I do FaceTime with my kids. That That is a real concern. And that young team, you know, as this goes on, it's not going to be, I haven't seen my wife and kids for a month. It's going to be, I've hung out with all my friends in a hotel for a month. You know, so th- that that youth may become uh, an advantage this this playoff. He, you brought up catering, which I think is an interesting aspect of all of this. Uh, I imagine that it was probably an interesting breakfast on Friday morning as uh, in Hotel X, which I don't mean that to say is like an undisclosed disclosed location. I think the hotel they're staying in is actually Hotel X in Mont in, uh, in Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, you know. Uh, you know, are the guys from Pittsburgh and these other teams that are now gone, like shuffling in breakfast one morning, and you're looking across the table at uh, Sidney Crosby, who you know doesn't like you, um, and, <laughs> and 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 you're being like, "Hey, uh, you're probably going home." To, you know, there's a chance you're going home tonight. Uh, you know, and you've seen teams now four teams that have come in, some of them thinking that they've had their ticket punched for uh, Christ almost a year at this point. Um, now they're they're they've got their golf bags out, and you know the 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 veteran players of the Flyers they certainly know what it's like to be playing golf in August. Uh, so I'm sure that they're uh, thrilled to still be playing hockey. Um, but um, you know, what do you think the relationship of having not only your teammates close together, but maybe your competition or what could be your competition uh, all close together? Do you think that that's going to have 
ignited any kind of a bad blood or do you think that you're going to find some strange camaraderie across the across the bench with with other teams um I will tell you, there are some other sports, even though they've been told they're not allowed to fight, uh, there's definitely been some Blad Bud anytime the Houston Astros have been in town. Yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> which you're, you're doing the Lord's work. Please keep fighting the Astros. Um, well, and there, there's been fights. Um, there was a fight in the very first game in like the first five minutes um, of the, the Canes-Rangers uh, game. Uh, former flyer Justin Williams uh, got into it. And, but I think that they're trying to keep the teams fairly well, you know, uh, sequestered from one another so that if you have an outbreak on the flyers, it stays on the, the flyers as opposed to everybody in hotel X, you know, is now testing positive. So like the, the teams have their own floors, you know, the Flyers have one whole floor of the hotel or maybe two. I don't know the logistics, maybe three. God, I don't even know. But a Flyers floor is a Flyers floor. So you're not going to have, you know, the Flyers bunking next to the Bruins or whomever. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to be a big story as the playoffs go on. Um, I wonder. I wonder because when – you know, when we get to the conference finals, everyone's relocating to Edmonton. And now you're going to have, you know, four teams competing for the Stanley Cup, maybe not in one hotel, but in one bubble. You know, so it's going to be hard to avoid one another in that scenario. Um, but I don't I don't anticipate it being much. I don't anticipate it being much. Hopefully we hopefully we get one fun story of a the fight that broke out of uh, over the breakfast bar. But uh I'm not anticipating it. Chuck, we got a we got a date and time for this first game yet? Um, let me double check. I don't not think there is. Not mm. not when we started recording. If I had to guess, I, I guess the date would be Tuesday. No games are being played on Monday, uh, the tenth. Uh, that's going to be the second draft lottery to see who gets. Oh, it looks uh, like Wednesday at 8 is game one. Wednesday at 8 is game one. Has that been set? Oh, well, NHL.com. Nice. Yeah. Well, All right. Well, that's a that's a prime time slot right there. Uh, I'm not surprised that it's prime time, but um, I'm a little surprised it's Wednesday. I thought just with the timing of things, the, the Flyers would get the Tuesday game. But, oh, all right. See, now I'm going to start getting excited. When this podcast is over, I'm going to be – looking up old Flyers uh, Canadians games. Now look, now you know Philly, we we got a chip on our shoulder here is uh is coach Q at all regretting his decision to take the Florida job over potentially coaching the Flyers. Yeah, especially since his friend got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Dale Talon was one of the main reasons. It's like, hey, come down, hang out with me in Miami. We'll be like semi-retired. And it's like, like we'll, we'll run this team together. <laughs> Panthers out in the qualifying round. His friend gets fired. And... The state is overrun with COVID nineteen. So yeah, I'm I'm betting that Philly job's looking pretty cushy right now. AV reminds me of just like a mobster or something that like you don't mess with. He doesn't say much. 
it's like all business it's just like don't fuck like you know don't fuck with them or you'll you'll they'll, ne- they'll never see you again or something like that i don't know he looks like he looks like a tough dude yeah he does have that like laid back french canadian swagger of like like he's a little built across you know not like huge not jacked but yeah. like it doesn't look like you could push him around and he's got a bit of a um a, a strong personality strong sense of humor occasionally a little biting i mean he goes into training camp and's like be a fucking flyer was what he <laughs> said to these guys and then like after like big wins he's like oh, i'm going out having martini i'm like yeah i bet you're throwing them back man so av is nothing but cool and uh, of all the people that were potentially out there for the flyers i am so happy we got him there's he has yeah. been such a great fit with the players with the city um you know there was a lot of rumblings of like oh kevin hayes and elaine vino don't get along they clearly do you know well whatever i'm like, just glad it wasn't and, and like He's got a pedigree. He has he has the resume, and you're not just taking some like former flyer that nineteen yeah. year old kids don't give a shit about. Nineteen year old kids that didn't grow up in Philadelphia don't give a shit about, yeah. um, and expecting that him to command their respect and get them to buy in on whatever nonsense he's peddling, um, you know, yeah. And so, I think if there was a, like a hockey rat pack like elaine vigno would be a member he would uh michelle Terrian would be right behind but in a little more of the joey bishop role you know if okay if if av is frank uh Terrian's probably joey bishop um which <laughs> which now makes me want to freaking cast the rat pack and i don't even know why i did that to myself. <laughs> um, all right chuck what, what what do you think is the most likely upset in in round one okay let me see if i can get the all the matches i'm obviously gonna watch every flyer i'm gonna i'm trying to watch as many games as possible but like right now there's so much competition for my sports viewing time i want to i want to know what series is there likely to be an upset that i could key in on as like a number two series to follow uh canes bruins okay Uh, i think i i i put I won't put money on it because I'm broke and I'm cheap. But uh, I'd say the Hurricanes over the Bruins is a real potential. For... Do you think that's the series most likely to go seven? No, the series most likely to go seven. Um, uh, I think the Isles uh, Isles uh, Caps that should be a good series. That should be a fun one. Yeah, Caps seem uh, really ripe for the picking. They do, but they have enough talent to sort of make up for it, like. They have enough talent to drop the first two, find their footing, and then get back in the series. Uh, I'm trying to think of the West Coast matchups off the top of my head. You have um, uh, Las Vegas versus Chicago, if I remember correctly. Uh, Vegas should should kick Chicago's ass. That shouldn't even be close. Um, then the number two seed, you have the Avalanche. and Oh, I have to get up in front of me. But And Phoenix. Avalanche Phoenix, eh, that should be better than you might think, but I still don't think that's going to be great. Then um, the three seed is Dallas, and are they playing Vancouver? They're playing Calgary. 
Um, uh, that should be okay. That should be okay. Uh, that, that actually should be fun. That should be um, a pretty high-scoring one. Um, so, yeah, Calgary and Dallas should actually be a good bit of fun. And then St. Louis and Vancouver. Ugh. Vancouver's a fun team to watch, but St. Louis can really shut you down. Um, so that's going to be – that'll be interesting. That – no, I, I was, I was going to say there's some upset potential there, but I I, I just think the blue, uh, the Blues are, are much better than the Canucks. So I really think the biggest upset potential is Hurricanes over the Bruins. All Although, right, so- again, all this is crazy. So if, yeah. if crazy shit happens – don't be too surprised. But. So our schedule, uh, Wednesday is game one uh, at 8 o'clock. Then Friday, knock off work early. Uh, we drop the puck at 3 in the afternoon. And then Sunday, uh, we'll get a raw nerve Potadelphia episode, uh, 8 o'clock game. Oh, yeah, uh, it'll, Sunday be, it'll be right after the game. We'll be hopping on right after the game. Yeah, we record uh, immediately once that game concludes. So that'll be f- – I mean, look. We flyerball in the Diorio household, so <laughs> depending on how many we score, <laughs> you know, I may have a lot of fireball shots in me for that episode, so we'll see. We'll That'll see what be happens. Brilliant. That'll be um, brilliant. All right, let's move off the flyers. And where do you, I mean, you got – let's go Phillies. You want to talk Phillies? I, I think we we should should touch on a couple of the more interesting things from the week from the, the Phillies and Yankee series. I think if, if, yeah, if nothing kind of a, else, kind of an up and down week, the Phillies, uh, they split a four game series against the Yankees. That was, you know, actually really fun series to watch. There was a lot of, um, a lot of surprises going on, um, there, but I mean, happy to see a split against, you know, maybe the best team in baseball. Who knows? Does it seem like it took a long time for the Phillies to get to just four wins? I feel like this has been the most brutal well, stretch you, of baseball. When you look at other teams' records, they're like, oh, my gosh, they have so many games. Like, you know, the Braves right you know, right now are 10 and ten and 6, and we're 4 and 5. You know, right. like it's – how did you get so many games? Right. We, we, we took another week off. Um, yeah, it was – Watching baseball had such a roller coaster sort of emotions this week. There were moments of things to get really excited about. There was uh, Jake Arrieta's start, which was something to be like, wow, you can start to do like sort of some mental gymnastics and be like, wow, uh, maybe we really are a competitive starting lineup uh, of, of our starting rotation. And then you remember that you most of those pitchers are only going to be able to pitch into the seventh inning at most. And even if you're up eight runs, that's not really a good enough lead if you're playing. Well, that was part of the success of the Yankee series was we got to play these double headers with our aces and they went, you know, six innings and you only had to have the bullpen come in, uh, you know, to try to get three outs or six outs. And it, it, you know, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work. The Phillies would be great in the little league world series this year. I mean, if we played the whole year with seven inning games, it'd be much better. But I mean, it didn't work out today against Atlanta, that's for sure. Um, but going back to that Yankee series, um, w- we need to talk about the the pandemic crew that just kind of posts up outside Citizens Bank Park in the outfield gates and just kind of tries to like look through and watch a game from there. I don't know. It can't be that enjoyable of a viewing experience 
from there, but they want to be part of it. They want their presence known and uh, started to be known during the Yankee series for sure. Do, do we have any con- confirmation that they don't have like a TV or something back there where they have some awareness of what is going on in their relationship to the game? I mean, I mean I maybe ass- they do. Maybe they have a ra- I mean, I'm sure they have, have a, at least at the very least a radio. I mean, it's it's 2020. So, I mean, <laughs> if you have a cell phone, you can watch right. the game basically. Uh, yeah, there's a couple sort of uh, reserve batteries. You can probably yeah. make that work. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I met. It's gonna be hella delayed. Like, not just delayed <laughs> from like cable, but you're streaming something that's happening live in front of you. Like you're gonna hear, like you're gonna hear the crack of the bat, and then like the players reacting. I mean, there's nobody else there, so it's gonna be like Harper's coming up. Like, let's see how he does. Like, they, they've already changed over, dude. I can see that the Yankees are getting ready to bat. Yeah, I mean, like, they got to have some kind of eyes. They must have some eyes on on what's going on because the air horns are just impeccably timed. Yeah, no, I think that – and I guess more to my point was, do you think that they're ramping up their efforts from game to game based on feedback they're getting that they are psychologically affecting opponents? I think so because they were they, they seem like a little more fired up uh today than they had been. I don't know if it was just like Sunday fun day uh was going on out there or not, but ever since the so all right, what happened? Aaron Boone, manager of the Yankees was a little annoyed that the fan the pandemic uh crew out there was blowing an air horn during uh key yankee at bats during the game which is like i mean it's such a little bitch move because like you play with a crowd normally right not only do you play with a crowd you play with a a a full stadium of 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 fans and if you're on the road they most of them are opposed you know opposing fans and not only that this is the new york yankees they play in fenway park and are the rivals of the boston red sox you're telling me that you haven't heard worse than air horns when you're trying to bat but i mean like you got to think i mean i thought you were i thought you were smarter than that really i mean going so you're going to go complain to the umpire who's going to say what am I going to do? They're not even in the stadium. Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not like a member of law enforcement. I can't go out there and have them vacate the sidewalk or whatever the hell's going on out there. It's like, what's the umpire going to do? And second of all, now you've, I mean, <laughs> emboldened the, the pandemic crew, uh, as well as any other cities, uh, COVID related play on words. They want to name their fan group that stands outside <laughs> of the stadium. Yeah, and and like the, the point you made, Dave, like the umps have no jurisdiction. Like an umpire cannot pull you over. Like so, this would unless you were driving come. one of those baseball shaped carts with a hat on it, <laughs> maybe they could yeah, pull you over then. I've seen umpires try to pull over the fanatic. It never goes well. <laughs> well, see, in the ballpark, I think they could, but like if you're on the highway driving the bullpen car. And a state trooper pulls you over unless they have an umpire there. You're allowed to proceed. Nice. Just a bit of Philadelphia heads up for you. <laughs> we do not <laughs> offer legal advice. <laughs> God, that is not the first time we've said that on the show. Um, but so, what are you gonna do? Like, you have the the Philly event cops 
<laughs> hey go bust those guys it's like they're not pulling down any statues <laughs> like they're harassing the yankees we're gonna let this one pass you know so <laughs> and i'm I also mean, surprised because i mean you know it's not it's not a little known secret that aaron boone is a lifelong eagles fan you know he should know the landscape of this type of environment and either suck it up don't look weak i yeah. mean you're looking like a baby doing this kind of stuff yeah and like you said before you only embolden them it's like Wait. hey <laughs> hey we're getting to them you know like you know there's a famous opening day story where your podcast hosts led by uh, one Mr. Dave Diorio took a dry erase board to opening day so we could update the sign. And apparently we were like blinding the batter or something. I don't know. We were, it, it, there was a glare that somebody found distracting. We were told to stop. Um, if we could have gotten away with it, if we knew there was a glare and like the ushers didn't tell us to stop, we'd be like, let's see if we can, blind whoever yeah that's know? another thing that's a, if an usher's out there with like a pocket mirror uh reflecting sun glare in a batter's eyes and you want to complain to an umpire like that's one thing but i mean you're just fans outside the stadium are bothering you grip <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that like by sunday you know by today we didn't have like an entire string band like in full regalia or, uh, you know, some Vuvuzelas or something. Oh, like. my God. That would be fantastic. Uh, a bunch of Jason Kelsey's uh, yeah. impersonators out there. Yeah, with, the, uh, the full, you know, the full, uh, you know, there was no Mummers Parade. And I assume no. that most of those brigades are probably having to be socially distant. Well, there distant, won't be a Mummers Parade. Or there won't be a Mummers Parade. But I'm assuming that those guys probably want to practice. I, I'm guessing that they'd have to be in their, like, like their summer gear. You know, so maybe just... Uh, like hats and suspenders and big pants, uh, and then like six feet across, <laughs> like in skirmish lines with banjos and saxophones. I'm telling you, like this, this, if if this goes, like uh, you're gonna see this, and you're gonna see Bryce Harper come out, like you know, he may have his like pandemic uh, lining in his jacket here by the end of this whole thing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so you, you come out with a split against the Yankees. You're feeling pretty good about that. And then you bring in the Braves to face Arietta, and he surprises you with a, a fantastic start of six innings um, of no, you know, no run. Ba he doesn't allow up a run in six innings. It's a great start. Probably, and I think you said it, Gene, it was maybe the best Arietta start uh, as a Philly, which I mean, six no run innings. What did he give up? Two hits? Yes, yeah, six hits shutout innings. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, that's some vintage like Chicago Cub 2016 era. Yeah. I Arietta. mean, like some bullpen, there is some life from the bullpen. Gara was pitching well. Uh, and and then you're, you, we, we go to this, you could get rained out or whatever on, um, Saturday or Friday, whatever it was. And, and then we have this doubleheader today with Vince Velasquez and then the excitement of Spencer Howard's first start uh, in, the, in the, the second game in the afternoon. And Vince Velasquez, I'm actually starting to feel bad for him um, because he just can't do it. Like, he just can't do it. It's like you're just sending someone out there to do something. 
you know they can't do it he knows he can't do it and we have this level of expectation yeah i i when you when you like sent that text uh saying that you're feeling bad for him i understood that that was me and like andrew mcdonald it was like he i mean he wants to be a good hockey player and andrew mcdonald better than vince velasquez but like he wants to be a good hockey player i'm sure he'd love to be a top line defense you know top pairing defenseman it's just not in his skill set and you can only get so you can only get so mad at like you know somebody for not being a major league you know baseball starting pitcher not many people are i mean went so, four no, innings, i feel you on that he went four innings of a seven inning game gave up one run I was like, wow, that's more than I would have expected out of Vinny Velo. I'm going to take it. And then you get Ricky Batalico in the post-game show burying him for, you know, missing spots and throwing too many pitches. And, and I'm like, well, whatever, man. The guy, you know, did better than what we thought he was going to do. And then Vince Velasquez in the post-game press conference is talking about he's burying himself. He's like, oh, I threw too many pitches. And, and that's when I started to like feel bad about it for the guy. Like he can't even, he can't even feel good about, you know, a sort of a modified quality start in a seven inning game. I, I don't even know like where you go from there, because if, if our expectation is more than that, he can't physically do it. And I don't know where we go from here. And we play so many double headers because of the friggin' Marlins that we have to, we basically have to keep him on life support to get us through this thing. Yeah, I mean, I heard, I think, Kruk say today that, you know, we would need as many as seven. I, I think I had thought six, but they were saying that we would need as many as seven. There's uh, maybe two stretches where, uh, to keep people on regular rest, we would need seven starting pitchers that would be able to uh If Cole Irvin compete. starts a game, I can't watch it. Well, I mean, the, the, the scariest thing, uh, phrase I think this season for the Philadelphia Phillies will be bullpen game. Um, I have no idea what what disaster would lurk in the idea of a bullpen game from the Philadelphia Phillies. I think we used what did I what did I text you guys because I was I was like tracking some of this stuff. How many pitchers did we use in the first game? I think you said five. five? Yeah, I think it was five yeah. to get through seven. Innings. We used five pitchers to get through se a seven inning baseball game. I mean, my, you know, I watch Little League games every week that don't use that many pitchers <laughs> to get through a seven-inning game. It's ridiculous. And, you know, we're like just – you're out there for your minimum three, and then we're going to bring in a new relief pitcher. And maybe you got one out. We used three pitchers in one inning to get three outs. Now, does your, does your Little League team leave as many kids <laughs> stranded on base? Yeah, they had, they, had, they had eight men left on base last Ooh. game. That does sound like the Phillies. It's just funny. Uh, so, you know, Vince, I feel for, and again, I'm going to bring that false analogy in. It's just like I, I, there's no one on the Phillies that I want to see do really well than Vince Velasquez just because it's like we need him. Uh, and then the, the savior is supposed to come in. Everyone thinks, you know, Spencer Howard is going to be – you know, the next doc Gooden or something walking in here at 21 or 24 years old, however old he is and just dominate. 
and you got you know you kind of got to manage your expectations a little bit with this and 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 pace yourself. I mean, he had a competent start today, but you know the bats let him down. What do you give up? Four runs? I think all told, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to get it done. Like four four innings, four runs. It's not going to get it done. Well, and I, um, I think the other thing that you have to factor into this is this is not a guy who's come out of been pitching competitively in the minor leagues um, against competition right now. There, you know, he he has been st- keeping himself physically, you know, stretched out. Yeah, that's a good point. But he wasn't, you know, in game mode or, or you know the there was going to be a certain what I think you know you may, what I was sort of surprised was that he didn't come in and just walk a ton of batters because you know you would figure his control might be a little bit haywire since the adrenaline was going to be flowing big time um the the thing that gives me so much optimism I think about Spencer Howard in particular is the other players on the team seem so high on him uh, I can't think of another prospect certainly not a pitching prospect where you, you you know you hear your star player in Bryce Harper talk so glowingly and so excitedly about him getting his first start. JT Realmuto wanted to catch his first game, sat out this the or uh, sat out the first game of the doubleheader to uh, to catch his his um, his uh, debut. Uh, so that says a lot about what they think of him as a player. And when you've got your your teammates behind you and want you to succeed, I think that that's going to go a long way both for your mentality and, and for getting him settled in. And, and like, let's just put it on the table. Like we need him to work out. Like we, we have no real other options at this point. We need him to succeed. We need him to basically take the spot that has been reserved for him in this rotation. I have a request. <clears throat> when you bring up top prospects and have them play their first game, can it not be, like retro uniform day for their <laughs> first game because you know 10 years from now 20 years from now and he's being inducted in the hall of fame or whatever and we got to go look back to his first start it's jarring <laughs> to see the different uniform from a different it's just odd let them play in their normal uniforms for the kids first game but you know that's it, it, it's it's a insignificant point, but one I fully agree <laughs> with because it really is like he's wearing the the burgundy and the fat pea, and that's not that's a not the Phillies uniform. This is not the the Sunday throwbacks where you get the right. blue. That cap. would be fine. Yeah, but the it's cream. the same. Yeah, the cream, but the same Phillies pea. You know, it's the same feel this is like hey flashback to the late 70s you know early 80s or all the 80s i guess but you know 70s 80s and it's gonna be like did this guy play with schmidt like how how long has this guy been playing in the league you know? here's my next so- request why why are our home throwback uniforms the road uniform that drives me absolutely bonkers i get everyone loves the powder blues like i get that i don't know it's just we don't do the 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 maroon pinstripes the burgundy pinstripes i guess it's because it would be so similar they didn't want to go through the effort of of making i guess i didn't think they would i mean let's 
put it where where it probably yeah, is, is you know the po- the po- the the pocketbook you put those powder blues on on racks they're going to people are going to buy them people want to buy yeah. a JT Realmuto 10 powder blue i want one of those um, i also I need, don't I think it's this. the actual it seems like the color is different of the powder blue and uh, it, it's interesting that you you bring this up they actually talked about it a bit on the radio broadcast. I don't know if you guys heard any of the radio broadcasts. I think it was in game one because Larry Anderson wore powder blues uh, in the 80s. There's a couple of strange uh, uniform facts I learned today. First of all, and Larry Anderson, man, like sometimes you just got to pull it on the radio just to to listen to him. He like just drops some, some, some knowledge on you once in a while. He was saying that uh, it was a totally different material, which is why the, the color seems more, more vibrant. Uh, in oh. the more in more current ones, uh, and that they were hot as all hell. Uh, <laughs> they were wool basically, and these are a much more modern, breathable material. And uh, the other thing that he was talking about was just uh, what the conditions were like in those uniforms at the, at the vet. And he was speaking specifically about what could have been any August game uh, while he was uh, a Philly that they had and i remember this they had those thermometers down on the turf oh yeah yeah, very very low to the turf and if you were ever at the vet and you you know would would walk down early before a game you could see them pretty clearly he said that he remembers and it was not uncommon that you would have temperatures that would be between 135 and 160 on the turf and that you know you remember with the with the with the uh with the blue uniforms they have those maroon those dark maroon cleats and when outfielders would come in from the vet turf, there would be boxes lined up, filled with ice, and the uh, the outfielders would literally walk into the dugout and submerge their feet in ice uh, to cool them off between innings because their shoes would be so hot to keep them from getting like severe burns on their feet. And then they would go and bat in these basically wet shoes. Um, which they didn't care about because they were, you know, they were cooler than having to stand out there. And he and he said that they would go out and they'd play an inning, and in a half an inning they'd come back and their feet would be completely, you know, like the water would dry. have completely evaporated. Yeah. Dry, I doubt, because I'm sure that they sweat a little bit. Uh, but that was sort of the insane uh, wow. thing that was Veterans Stadium is that you had you were dealing with conditions on the, you know, on your from your shin down of 162 degrees. Uh, and wow. you're wearing wool and uh, maroon shoes. Last last Philly's point before we move on. Uh, JT Romuto, he's got to be in the lineup every game one way or another. I mean, you have this golden opportunity now with a DH. I mean, it's frustrating when your best hitter is your catcher because there's so many games that they have to be out of the lineup uh, to rest. But now with the DH, you have this opportunity to – you know, use Andrew Knapp for someone else in the lineup for, you know, instead of having a, you know, a, a Hazley or a Gosselin when he comes back to earth or, you know, whatever. Uh, JT's got to be in there every night. And if, if that means you got to give him two nights off from catching, then that's what it means. Yeah. The, the, the two nights off from catching, I, I never thought of that. I'm like, okay, well maybe he, he'll need the occasional night off. But yeah, if it's like, hey, the strain of playing every day is a bit much for him. It's like, okay, fine, you're DHing, you know, three times this week, and 
and you'll be the catcher of the other four or whatever the case right. may be. Right, right, right. Yeah, he really should be. He really should be batting all the time, especially because we don't have him under contract. And you saw it. You saw it happen in game one because he wasn't there. And the lineup went Hoskins, Harper, Gregorius. And then that let them leave a lefty in there for Harper and Gregorius, where normally you would have had JT break that up. Yeah, you split that so that then you don't, you know, if you're going to you're gonna put in that, that left-handed pitcher for Harper, then you are going to have to face, you know, JT going the wrong way or vice versa. So I didn't see the Girardi press conference. I'm sure he was asked about it. Uh, I do need to figure out what the situation is with that and why he's just, like, really not too keen on doing that. I mean, as a catcher himself, maybe he has a different perspective on it than I do, but... Um, I don't know how you can justify leaving. The, My that, only that other out. thought was that this was a double header and it's August and maybe that he, you know, he was he was trying to give him truly, you know, only four at bats. If, if this had been just, uh, you know, a stretch of, of straight nine inning games. But we have so many double headers. Maybe there's but there's you're only playing. Six, it's not like 162 games. You're playing 60 oh, games. No, I, we I play 10 games. That's yeah. you, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and time is running out already. Right. No, we needed, and and this was your, this is against your division. Uh, right. You needed to have your best, your best lineup out there. I, I guess I'm just trying to, to play devil's advocate because you know I don't have, uh, I don't have Gabe Kapler here to explain, uh, you know every, you know what what page on the book the, these sorts of decisions were made from. Um. Okay. Do we do we want to move on to the Sixers? Phillies four and six through ten. Uh, let's talk about the Sixers because we're it's it's um, it's like unraveling before our very eyes this whole Sixers situation. I got a message from Doctor Keith Heck uh, with his thoughts on uh, on the Simmons situation, uh, and I'll just I'll just read you what he sent me. I sent this to you guys earlier, but I, he told me I was free to use this information on the show. So um, he said his, his MRI wasn't clean. So that was a lie uh, <laughs> as if we're, we're not exhausted enough from hearing lies from the Sixers medical staff. Um, this is a longer recovery than a simple dislocation. And the concern that he has is uh, if we've taken pieces of bone or cartilage off of the kneecap and it's a, it's a tough injury to manage in the long run since you can't, you know, regrow any of that native cartilage. So what the main concern here now is as a 24 year old superstar basketball player has a herniated disc and, you know, a dislocated kneecap that potentially has, uh, you know, missing bone or cartilage from it. That's going to be, you know, you're unable to regrow and it's going to have to be, maintained and surgery and uh floating particles potentially cleared out of this i mean he's aging very fast uh for a, a young player so this is super concerning not only this season like whatever the season he's out for the year it is what and, it and is we've committed we've already we've already put the ring on that finger we are yeah we are we have bought the car so to speak yeah exactly and i just like the window I, at this point, I don't even know if the window is ever open. Um, but open. now I feel the curtains are closing. 
so is that more is that more extreme the windows oh yeah once the window, you close the window then you close the you're going to bed <laughs> like, nobody <laughs> closes the curtains with the window still open no no one does that all right so the if windows... you do not have air conditioning and it's a very hot summer day you leave the windows open but you close the drapes to get a little bit of that air coming in but block the sun <laughs> All right, the, the, I don't know. The shutters are. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, you're fine. The drapes are fine. And now with Embiid, Embiid leaving the the game today against the the Trailblazers after six minutes with some sort of ankle injury, I I, I didn't see an update on that or what we expect. I mean, the spin machine has been like, oh look how happy he was when he came back and he was cheering. He can't. Be but who gives a shit? Because whatever they say is probably a lie anyway. Right. But I'm just yeah, saying and- the the the. Uh, uh, I, the the lucky the leprechaun and Amy Fadul uh, contingency. <laughs> uh, the the report from them was it looked like Embiid was happy when he returned to watch his teammates and really hurt people. <laughs> don't like cheer. He happy. Yeah, he's fucking happy because <laughs> he's not playing. Yeah, he shot up with Vicodin and cortisone or whatever the case may be. Uh, but but real quick, we talked about yeah. like before like predicting the Sixers future and going like, Hey, we're not, you know, we're not trying to, to damn and beat and go like, Hey, Joel's going to be injury prone, but look at players, his size, and it's already started. You know, we have to look at the small window of, you know, Joel's not going to be here for the, the long term. He's, he's injury is going to cost this guy's career probably sooner than later. And then fucking Ben gets hurt. It's like, no, <laughs> like, what do you mean? You're going to have a chronic injury as well. And like, these were, these were the two pillars that the, the process netted. Like they, you know, to mix metaphors, all sorts of ways. The, the, the process was to get the foundation of the Sixers and the, the foundation might be cracked. Yeah, man. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it, it, this was the, the, maybe the one point I wanted to bring up about basketball. The, comparatively, uh, I felt like when the NHL came back and the way that they were set up, they sort of had built-in stakes, whether you bought into it or not, for all of the teams that had returned to play. Um, to some degree, I feel like the NBA has lacked uh, for certain teams within the the bubble – those same stakes because I feel like to a certain degree, the Sixers could not really gain much ground in this eight game, 10 game warmup that we have going on. And here we are now uh, in a situation where we're, we're definitely losing one of our stars and, and you know, we may be uh, one leg on the other uh, for games that really did not net us any kind of ground in the, in the standings. Um, you know, I just feel like there there was such a lack of also in order to get me engaged. I've been waiting for that game to come along that's going to pull me back into the NBA, and it just these Sixers games have just been such a such a not to watch because of how drug like how bad they've played. Even even though that they had they had won three straight game coming into this, you felt like this was a team coming on and out of a deep losing streak because this was they were not playing the kind of basketball that you wanted from a team that you have uh, hopes to win a championship from. They, they, they were really struggling through those games. Well, they've all, but I think they've locked in the six seed. Now I think there's only one more game left. Is that right? Or no, I know they play, I know they play Phoenix next. It's one or two. It's not much. 
Yeah, so basically, you, you're we're looking forward to a, a first round matchup against the Celtics, which you know has been, you know, w- w- probably a, among the teams that we potentially could have played. That seems to be the one we've had most success against this season. I certainly didn't want to play the Heat. No. Um, and uh, I didn't want to play Milwaukee, the Pacers. Yeah, I didn't want to play Indiana. Uh, yeah, so I mean, look, it it's going to happen one way or another. I'm just hoping that we don't um, we don't like use this as an excuse to keep Brett Brown. You don't you don't want to run it back, as they say. No, no. The, well, we could run it back with the players, but you want somebody else in, on the bench. Yeah, I, I just don't want them to, you know, I, and they could spin it like that. It's like, well, I didn't really have an opportunity with Ben's being when Ben's injured, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not interested in that. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I get I don't know if I could take it another year. I think that you're in the majority in that opinion, because I certainly agree with you. Well, you know what? I'm in the, I'm in the majority and I'm, I'm also in Chuck's penalty box. I don't think I'm in Chuck's penalty box. I'm just. Uh, well, I don't have you in my penalty box. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Dave. But let's find out who is in your penalty box, Dave. Oh, you got to go to me first, eh? Well, I actually was planning on going to Gene first. but All uh, right. No, fine. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. The, the passive aggressiveness is a, a key feature of Chuck's penalty box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put um, I'm going to put Tim Kelly in my uh, in my penalty box and uh He's the uh, editorial director for Phillies Nation. You know, he does a, a podcast on the Phillies. Uh, but it's a tweet that he sent out today that really bothered me for coming from someone who follows the team and reports on the team. To me, it's concerning. The tweet was, in his second major league inning, Spencer Howard just had one of the filthiest innings a Phillies pitcher has had in the last 10 years. He may have a future here. He may have a future here. His his second inning was just a one, two, three inning. I, I mean, I think he had a strikeout in there, but you I mean that tweet, that tweet makes it sound like a nine pitch, three strikeout tapping 100 miles per hour on the radar gun inning like he got Garrick Ruth and Mantle like and bing this, bing bing this is th- look what did we talk about before the show what did we talk about before the games today what are your expectations for Spencer Howard today and what was like the consensus like five innings two earned runs maybe five or six strikeouts to say he had the filthiest inning in Phillies in the last decade is absurd. A decade featuring Doc Halliday and, yeah, and Lee. Not, and, yes, I'm and sure and him. may have something to say about that. I bet you Zach Wheeler may have something to say about it just from this season alone. It's an absurd tweet, and it sets up horrible expectations for a kid who just made his first start. Give me a break, man. And for that, what did I even say this dude's name was? His name is Tim Kelly. So penalty box. Oh, Tim, Tim, you're you're going in my penalty box as well. I was not going to pick this, but you're going in two penalty boxes tonight because that's what you're going to need to serve this time. 162 games a year. 162 games a year 
over 10 years. Nine innings a game if they don't go extra innings. We're talking about 10 fucking thousand innings. <laughs> and one, two, three inning, one of the best your hyperbole is ridiculous you you should have all credentials revoked this is hackney bullshit and give people bad names so tim kelly you are getting a 10 minute game misconduct you're getting the door uh for just bad awful disgraceful reporting tim kelly also two first names Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So uh, somebody with only one first name, Gene, who is in your penalty box this evening? Much like Cher and Madonna, it's Gene. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, have either of you guys ever heard of uh, you guys ever heard of a guy named John Boyne, B-O-Y-N-E? Does his name ring a bell? No, no, not John Boyega, John Boyne. He's an author. And he, his latest book is called A Traveler at the Gates of Wisdom, um, which I'm sure is at your favorite bookseller, Amazon or something else. Uh, but just so you know, there is a, a, an excerpt I'm going to read from the book where he's describing um, dye making. One of his characters is a dressmaker. Oh, and, I know this one. And dye making that's going to be, be made in, uh, in the book. And I'm just going to read this little short passage. And then you tell me what this is supposed to be a book. It's, I think it's historical fiction. Supposed to be set in a real world, not not fantasy. And this is the author who wrote uh, the boy in the striped pajamas. So I, <gasps> okay. oh, okay. that bastard. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, I I don't yeah. know. So you know he he does try to keep his his narratives in a in a real world setting. Okay, so uh, the the excerpt I'm going to read, remember, is about is about dressmaking. Uh, so the dyes I used in my dressmaking were composed from various ingredients depending on the color required. Um, but almost all required nightshade, sapphire, keyswing, the leaves of a silent princess plant, octoruk eyeball, swift violet thistle, and high tail lizard. In addition, the red I have used for Abrilla's dress, I employed spicy pepper, the tail of red lysoflows, and four hylian mushrooms. Uh, do you know where an octoruk eyeball and a hylian mushroom might be found, Chuck? I'm going to say Middle Earth. No, 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 <laughs> no close. Dave, want to help him out? Um, Hyrule? Hyrule, yes. <laughs> the Kingdom of Hyrule, specifically the video game Breath of the Wild, uh, for those who play Nintendo Switch, which many, many people have, because what else have you been doing for the last six months? Uh, you've probably beat that game about four times. So apparently this guy Googled, uh, how to make red dye and came up with <laughs> how to make red dye in Zelda and then publish that into his like literary work. And not only did he not pick up on that, you're telling me he doesn't have an editor. Nobody, nobody noticed this before some D bag on Reddit was able to be like, Hey, uh, uh, this guy's talking about a high rule. Um, come on, man. Like we got to do a better job printed books we've got to do a better job there there has to be like say raspberry i don't say something that might be real that's no one not was from like a video what game. the fuck is an octorok yeah what the and fuck looked it up. <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah, fucking Zelda. <laughs> I didn't pick up Akarok or Hylian. I heard fucking lizard. <laughs> I can't imagine that there's any any die in the world that's like primary ingredients like lizard tails. Yeah. Like, uh, all right, go on, Gene. Yeah. So, um, my favorite tweet about this was somebody that was like, "Is it an homage, an Easter egg? Hmm. This book is not a fantasy. It's a historical drama set in a real world." I had lunch. I had a hunch and try to Google search. And if you Google, if you Google search, it's it's like, you know, the walkthrough for Breath of the Wild comes up, and it's it's the first thing that you would. But it's not like unobvious that it's about a video game like there's screenshots of of link you know collecting ingredients in the video game it how this person was like yeah that sounds good i'm just gonna type it up um you know that it pinged on his word uh his word processor as a misspelling which means he had to read it over at least twice um so for that like i feel like this guy needs at least the length of time in the penalty box, and I, you know, normally I don't, re- you know, request this sort of thing, Chuck. But I feel like he would need at least the amount of time to rewrite that chapter, maybe the whole book. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, you're not the only problem uh, people that have issues with this gentleman. I'm sorry. What what was his name again? John Boyne, B O Y N E. John Boyne, Irish author. So good job there. Thanks, asshole. Um, but so he is. Um, he is going on indefinite suspension because the boy in the striped pajamas is actually called off. I called out, I believe, um, not by the National Holocaust Museum, um, but I believe by the the Auschwitz. I don't know if it's a museum or historical society or whatever that um, his historical fiction was um, dangerous and reckless and not to be used for education. And he had his own issues with, um, with a foundation designed to, you know, protect and preserve the memory of the millions of people who freaking got murdered. And he goes to Zelda to find out how to make die. So John Boyne, um you're you're like strike three you're out you're getting you know the the play the performance enhancing drug suspension one full year suspension from major league baseball from writing historical fiction maybe do a little research next time chuck who's in your penalty box no one that makes me as mad as either one of you or two so, um, we'll, we'll zig. Yeah, we'll zig when you guys zagged. And if you're zigging and zagging, and you're a guy, you're gonna want your junk supported. And I know this because of bird dog shorts and their constant <laughs> advertising during the NHL. And I don't know how hard it is to buy your own underwear to wear. I was looking shorts. at buying a pair of those. <laughs> But it's apparently an issue. It's like, hey, man, you don't need to buy separate underwear. You can get your your underwear in your shorts, and you can go swimming in this. And it's, like, revolutionary, and it's like an infomercial. Like, the people who can't use masking tape, it's like, oh, finally, my underwear is already in my shorts. All my problems have been solved. I I mean, I know, like, runners and uh, cyclists and... I, I mean, random people at the beach. Why the fuck do you need the underwear in the shorts at the beach? I don't like if you're not competing, you're not wearing a speedo, you're not doing a triathlon or whatever the case may be. 
but bird dog shorts man you're really leaning hard into the underwear into the shorts sell the other aspects of this this asset of yours uh you're only getting a two-minute minor because you don't make me livid this evening so uh um just be happy that everyone else fucked up more than you bird dog shorts two-minute minor for overvaluing the value of underwear built into your shorts All right. That's all the time we have for today. We are going to be back with you next Monday, recapping three Flyers playoff games um, and some Sixers stuff. We got more Phillies this week. Who we got? Who the Phillies have this week? Uh, They have one more at home against Baltimore. And then I think we go on the road. I think first stop is Buffalo. All right, man. We're still looking for our first series win of the season. So, uh, Hopefully we get a split from the Braves tomorrow night. But anyway, we'll be back next Monday to talk about all that and more. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Podadelphia. If you have any more time in your podcast listening day, be sure to check out the Whip Around for all of the week's weird news. Uh, and until uh, next Monday, have a great day at work, everybody. We are out of here.